AVXL episode 150 was recorded on August 12, 2021. Movie theaters with no speakers. Monoprice's new Monolith 13 and 16 inch THX subwoofers. More on those Samsung QED OLEDs. Audio conversion is not always a good thing. And the joys of vintage audio gear. And don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you've got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. We appreciate you. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I feel like I'm I'm getting deep into the whole like. Uh, it's K77. We're here in the uh, K77 chopper right over the five, and uh, wow, it's a mess down there. Um, which is a total ripoff of Robin Williams, but I do love that movie. <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam. So, uh, outside of being uh, random from a decided lack of sleep and entirely too much excitement involving rebuilding PCs and uh, my studio, we're here to talk about audio and video. And uh, yeah. you've recently had a joyous audio experience. I had the pleasure this week of sitting down with a nice new Atmos-related product and one of the, I think, the very best Atmos soundtracks you can give a listen to while experimenting with a speaker system like that is Blade Runner 2049. A lot of people point out how well the atmospherics and the panning noise and other effects are just so well represented in the Stolby Atmos track. It seems to be in everyone's list if they're putting together like, hey, what should I uh, show everyone so that they can experience the Dolby Atmos envelopment in the best way possible? It's a pretty decent movie. A little long in my mind, but definitely entertaining. And it sounds freaking sweet. Beautiful, too. And I was watching a movie on YouTube, a full length movie, which they do have quite a few of them, by the way. That was actually yeah. streaming in Dolby Digital Plus 5.1, and it sounded fantastic. The Roku's auto pass-through mode did a perfect job in terms of just sending that Dolby Digital stream all the way to the compatible speakers. But when I enabled auto conversion, and in this case it was to the Atmos format, the resulting sound mix really muddied the dialogue, and it seemed to create odd-sounding levels from that original 5.1 mix. So are we talking about smearing... I've been thinking about this a lot because we've had some questions about the necessity of a center channel or what does a center channel do. And it's primarily dialogue, which is a huge focus for the vast, unless you're in like total Michael Bay mode and the movie is like one giant series of explosions and action from beginning to end. The majority of, of a lot of films are dialogue. The dialogue is always centered on the center channel, right? Unless there's someone off to the left or off to the right. Exactly. And I think, is, is that what we're hearing? Is that, that smearing where it's not exactly synthesizing a phantom center channel and it's not exactly doing a proper stereo separation? In my case with the Roku Ultra and its auto conversion of that Dolby Digital Plus track, it mm -hmm. made it sound just like that, where the surrounds were almost as important, quote unquote, as the dialogue itself. And it really just took away from the whole experience compared to that original mix and its it overall quality. It, it immediately was distracting and I immediately was like going, it can't be this bad. Something's funky here. And by simply not having a device like a Roku Ultra or an Apple TV 4K do the automatic audio conversion. While I do appreciate it for certain low quality things in terms of making them sound a little bit better and more 
consistent. For movies that have good mixes to begin with, it's best just to leave it the way it is and feed it directly to the amplifier and speakers without influence or undue influence, so to speak. <laughs> that was more than true from my experience with uh, what still surprises me is to actually watch full length movies on YouTube. But anyway, <laughs> whatever generates them more revenue. Seriously, they already get my monthly fee for no commercials. So <laughs> I'm taking full advantage of it. I have been meaning to sign up for that for quite some time. So I will hopefully remember to do that today. It's the last place I get commercials. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. It's annoying as hell. And that's one of the reasons I actually pay for that service. But just keep that in mind. If you are using a streaming product that can do these automatic conversions, and generally they are enabled by default, take a look at those settings, especially for audio. And give it a look and see if maybe your automatic pass-through will make your ears a little happier. Let alone uh, any odd video conversions that might be happening pass through just remember set it to pass through and enjoy copy that although i say that and i immediately think of a couple quirks that could be caused by doing that so your mileage may vary a little bit i find that if you enable automatic video conversion with these products it does a nice job of maintaining a specific format for the tv in terms of right. it will always be in 4K, it will always be in HDR, it's never going to change out of that mode, causing odd pauses or, or a black screen while it switches formats internally. That's one nice thing. But to have it minimize the, the hoops it has to jump through, to get mm -hmm. the video to a capable display, it is often better just to use a pass-through mode. Good to know. The amazing folks at the Criterion Collection are going to start releasing 4K UHD discs. I am actually alarmingly excited about this. Direct quote, Criterion's first 4K Ultra HD releases a six-film slate that includes Citizen Kane, Menace to Society, The Piano, Mulholland Drive, The Red Shoes, and A Hard Day's Night, which is an interesting cross-section of cinema. I'll just say that right there. Um, I was laughing because I think this will be, because I know I'm going to buy it. This is going to be like my sixth copy of Citizen Kane. Or my 11th, probably my 6th, because my first version was a really crappy VHS transfer. Ooh. Well, when Citizen Kane was released a few years back for the 75th anniversary edition mm -hmm. on Blu-ray, I picked it up then, and what impressed me the most was how clean that transfer was, considering how old that movie is. It is also a black and white film, and there is something kind of special about that kind of cinematography and presentation where it literally is just easier on your eyes, and it makes it a pleasure just to take in the scenes throughout every part of that film. Yeah. It was fantastic in Blu-ray, and I look forward to seeing it in... 4k and i'm curious as to where maybe they got that from in terms yeah. of doing that transfer if they took any well, of the work that was done for the 75th anniversary edition and improved upon it or if perhaps they may have originally scanned that back in like say 8k and they just keep sampling it down to whatever formats <laughs> available currently i know the wizard of oz was restored in 8k and and I'm not going to go into that because uh, we've discussed it. Certainly, I've I've discussed I've 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 waxed eloquent. I've I've just waxed too damn long on that. But film, cool stuff. But, Criterion's um, first yeah. 4K UHD releases, and I'm glad to see them yeah. finally moving in that direction for the folks like Menace me. Menace to Society, love um, discs. You know, brutal film, extraordinary film. Uh, first, uh, I want to say I think it's like the first release by Alan and Albert Hughes, the Hughes brothers. Uh, 
Lorenz Tate and Yada Pinkett, uh, Seton Watts. It's a really intense film for me to see um, uh, in 93. Um, the Piano is, I still haven't seen that. <laughs> Mulholland Drive. I think if any of those movies are of any interest whatsoever and you have the 4K yeah. set up with a disc player, that those are must-owns, especially if you don't already have the content. It's just going to look yeah. beautiful. It's going to be a beautiful presentation. Criterion is superb at doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. They are the gold standard. It's crazy. Like the Red Shoes was, I think, the f- first movie that uh, Powell and Pressburger did after Black Narcissus, um, which are two classic late 40s films. Black Narcissus, I think, is also on Criterion Collection. So special features, details on that are going to come out next week. Uh, my loose understanding is these are going to ship around November. Uh, select films will be available in Dolby Vision HDR and Dolby Atmos. Hence, I doubt Citizen Kane needs to be in Dolby Vision or Dolby Atmos. <laughs> It'd be really funny if it was. And uh, I got to say, it's nice that all of them are going to include not just a 4K UHD disc, but a Blu-ray and the special features. Well, a Blu-ray is going to have a Blu-ray copy of the movie and the special features are all available on the Blu-ray. So they're they're basically leaving all the space they can on that 4K disc for bits for the movie. Beautiful. Yeah, and I know I talked about this probably last week, but if you've never been there, if you're interested in classic movies or really, really beautiful transfers of movies, the Criterion Channel is their streaming service. Uh, You know, it runs on Roku, it runs on Apple TV, it'll probably run on just about anything else you have. And uh, there is an extraordinary collection of movies on there. Um, If you went into cinema, or if you just want to see a whole bunch of Charlie Chaplin, which I've been having some really amusing times... uh, exposing the children to <laughs> very cool very cool it's exciting uh samsung q d o l e d what's the update on that man yeah baby they keep trickling out with more information it certainly seems that way and now there's an official web page from samsung display highlighting details about this q d oled panel I watched a recent video from the wonderful Mr. Vincent Teo over at HDTV Test, and he was detailing the latest info he also uncovered. What was really interesting to me was it sure seems like this TV's arrival for 2022 is accurate. And he also highlights, and so does this Samsung Display article, the color purity of their quote-unquote OLED technology. Perhaps the funniest thing of all about this article posted on the Samsung website is the fact that they talk about this display for several pages, and I don't believe once anywhere on that page you'll find the words OLED, even though it is (laughs) technically an OLED display, and Mr. Teal pointed that out as well. That's pretty funny. It seems that only 4K resolutions are going to be supported. We mentioned a 55 and 65-inch screen size last time around. That looks like it will be the launch sizes in a 4K resolution instead of trying to push it up to 8K, which is kind of crazy to do on, say, a 55 or 65-inch screen. The bottom line from the details I've gathered so far is do not expect this to be as bright as the current OLEDs as measured. However, because of the color purity that's potentially possible using a very well-saturated blue backlight and OLED material pushing through a quantum dot color filter, the color saturation should be much more improved compared to the current OLEDs, particularly at peak brightness, where current OLEDs made by LG use a white subpixel to get that extra brightness, which kind of makes you have to do tricks and things to make colors 
not appear too desaturated. There is actually an effect you can look up called the Helmholtz Kohlrausch effect, HK effect is probably the easier thing to search for. That effectively details how that if you have two patches of color side by side at equal mm -hmm. brightnesses as measured, the more saturated color will always appear more brighter to the average viewer. And I think that is what Samsung's banking upon. They are claiming on the Samsung product page, or at least this technology page that they have posted, which I will link to in our show notes, they're claiming about a thousand nits out of this thing. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. They've also claimed like two to 3,000 nits out of some of their other displays, whereas once you get them properly set up, you're getting roughly 60% <laughs> of that, say. I am not <laughs> expecting this new display technology to come out of the gate, surpassing the current state of LG's OLEDs, but it's a good step in the right direction. We will probably finally have an OLED from some company that will exceed the DCI color spec, which is important. We need more saturated colors in terms of actually getting close to the full Rec 2020 spec, as well as the spec that is a part of HDR video today. And for even calibration purposes, like I've mentioned before, it's good to have a display that can have more color than you need and simply rein it in rather than trying to <laughs> work the other way around where you're limited in color and you have to just make sure everything's <laughs> mapped properly. Either way, it's cool. It really kind of cements the fact that this display is likely showing up early next year. I'm sure it's going to be previewed at CES 2022. And I really can't wait. I'm looking forward to seeing if they have any issues with things like longevity or burn-in or you name it. All the classic issues we have with today's OLED displays. And if Samsung is doing anything different to alleviate any of that with their new hmm. quantum dot enhanced OLED tech. Even though they don't call it OLED. <laughs> Quantum oh. dot super screen. What do they say at the technology. top? QD display. Yeah, there's a lot of quantum dot talk. Very little on the actual uh... <laughs> self luminescence. There you go. Blue self luminescence. A the self saga continues. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. There is yet another 4K ultra short throw home theater projector. And I say yet another because, Robert, what was your reaction to the news of the, the a, a new 4K ultra short throw home theater projector? I'm over it. I am uh, done with ultra short throw unless that's the only option due to some constraint that can't be otherwise overcome. Why, sir? I prefer the direct projected systems simply because they seem right. to do a better job of light output you're going to get a brighter picture. You can get right. away with less light control in the room compared to at least any ultra short throw I've dealt with recently. And we, well, I mean, we took everybody through the saga our friend had of dealing with an ultra short throw projector in a room with a lot of windows. And it was a really frustrating experience because the light rejecting screen material that you need to use with an ultra, or you're supposed to use with an ultra short throw projector rejects ambient light from above the screen, but doesn't do anything from the left and the right. <laughs> I would almost go so far as to say you shouldn't use an ambient light rejecting screen with a short throw projector or an ultra short throw projector unless you absolutely have to because it is mm -hmm. going to restrict some of the reflectivity of that potential screen right. surface. If you have a truly light controlled environment and you don't have lamps right above the screen shining down on it, you can get away with a flat screen that will help. 
uh, it would be ideal to use that over an ambient light rejecting screen. It's something people should consider. It's like, unless you're yeah. dealing with light sources directly above the screen, ambient light rejection may like not be office. necessary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in an office environment, in a conference room environment where you're tired of having had to turn down the lights over the last decade, it's a lifesaver to have an ambient light rejecting screen for your short throw projector. True, but if you have light coming from any other direction, uh, it is not right. rejected as well. And as you mentioned and pointed out, with the gain rating of these screens being 60% of what a typical projection screen is, that's right. a concern for me as well, especially when you're dealing with generally a more limited light output system. When you're shining a light out of a projector onto a curved mirror that then bounces it to the screen rather than it just shooting straight out of a lens and hitting the screen directly. Uh, I just, I'm not poo-pooing all ultra, ultra short throws. They have their place, but if the option is one or the other, uh, if you can go either way, go with mm -hmm. direct instead of ultra short. <laughs> okay. That's my personal so, take. <laughs> that preface aside, uh, Ben Q, who does a lot of really good work, um, making affordable projectors i think the benq no i don't think i know the benq hd 2050a is is the wire cutter pick for the best budget projector uh is it at the best projector no for 750 dollars, is it phenomenal yes but i have killed for it five years ago absolutely um it is a nice piece of engineering from benq benq has announced uh the v70 50i uh, 4K ultra short throw projector and see if these numbers sound familiar. 2500 ANSI lumens covers up to 98% of the DCI P3 color space and comes with an Android TV streaming stick. Um, a lot of this sounds familiar, uh, perhaps just because we've had a lot of ultra short throw projectors come out uh, in the last year. But, uh, you know, BenQ does a lot of nice work and uh, we wanted to give you a heads up that there is another option out there no one uh, they literally just started selling these and uh, i've not seen a review yet i'm pretty sure projector central will probably have the first review up on that one so keep an eye out for that flexound f-l-e-x-o-u-n-d.com is the website and uh i've i've been kind of quietly uh well i think the the, the honest phrase would be ignoring emails from these folks because movie theaters with no external speakers um it's just one of those things where it, it tends to be uh uh well it just tends to be the thing that sounds too good to be true or too ridiculous to actually work but what's kind of interesting so they're a finished startup uh that said they're a finished startup i think they were at ces 2018 i missed that i actually found a a, a buried email 2018 was a hectic year uh, but they've recently had installations or design wins for CinemaCon and United Cinema in Japan. Uh, Con, I don't know if CinemaCon is where any of the Con Film Festival takes place, but you get the direction I'm moving in here. There are actually these these seats, essentially, what they call so flex sound. Quote, enables natural vibration and equal sound quality at every seat independent of the seat location. They're talking about full range audio with powerful bass. Uh, the first kind of picture of it I saw looked like it was speakers uh, or sound transducers of some type kind of buried in the seat behind your shoulder blades is the way it looked. Maybe up firing from behind you. Um, but they announced in June the Flexound Pulse and... Uh, 
if you've ever seen a, a photo of, of a fairly recent, fairly sophisticated, um, you know, transoceanic flight, you know, in some giant airplane where first class has the little sort of, you know, basically everybody gets pod. a little fold up <laughs> apartment pod thing. So it kind of looks like um, it's like a box around a cinema seat with soft curved corners. Um and the idea is that everybody has their own set of speakers um, in their own seat. This, of course, will not be popular with the teenage version of me, who really did not want a wall between me and whoever I was going to the movie with. But it is an interesting idea that they can have sort of an equal experience no matter where you're seated in the theater, because <laughs> uh, you will have your own speakers for every single seat. Um, curious to uh, see if they're going to be at Cedia or at CES 2022 we'll keep you posted but uh i just they find the fact that they're actually showing up in theaters has me sitting up and and being kind of curious about what that uh what that experience is actually like because most well-configured dolby atmos cinemas have a pretty good experience whether you're in the center of the room the left of the room or the right of the room in part because they have like 25 30 40 speakers spread around uh some of the better ones so I guess my other question was, will it come with a volume control? And I couldn't figure out that uh, in the skimming I had. Because the only thing worse than being in a theater that's too loud um, is being in a, a seat that's too loud. <laughs> hey, this certainly looks like a product more aligned for commercial use rather than Oh, absolutely. Use. And otherwise... It... I would love to sit in one of those seats and I'm very, I literally, I'm with you. That was, I was, I once, once I'm like, Oh, these actually are existing in real theaters. Okay. I want to sit in one. I'm actually curious. Cause the pulse actually seems like it has, it's claiming that it can actually reproduce a full surround experience. Whereas their regular mm -hmm. products, I think are more along the lines of extending the base directly into your body with a good vibration system built right into the seat. And either yeah. way, these are pretty cool, and I, there's nothing wrong with a butt shaker. But, oh no! But yeah, your distraction-free personal sound zone. Beautiful thing. I am very, very curious. I want to test the size of the cup holder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to make sure it's wide enough for my shoulders. Oh, oh my goodness! In our never-ending coverage of subwoofer availability throughout the COVID experience, uh, we actually have some new subs. Nice. From Monoprice, uh, the Monolith 13-inch THX Ultra and the 16-inch THX Ultra. Um, three ports on the 13-inch sub, four ports on the 16-inch sub. They basically give you plugs so you can plug up ports and tune the sound. Um, these are both ultra-certified, THX ultra-certified, which means they're good for a 3,000-cubic-foot room. Uh, with a 10 to 12 foot viewing distance from the screen, which is a fairly healthy subwoofer. Here in the gigantic home theater basement of Doom, where there's something like 6,500 cubic feet, you might need two of these. But I'm not sure. First review showed up on Audioholics. The, I don't even think the press release has gone out on this. Um, and I'm just going to say this right now. The CEA 2010 numbers look really good. Um, like 106 dB at 16 hertz. Um, 91 dB at 12 Hertz. Oof. And, uh, um, you, you will feel that <laughs> you might not be able yes. to hear that. You, you won't hear that. Hear that <laughs> yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to hear that. I'm longingly, you will feel that. I'm longingly staring at that 13 inch model and 
damn, it's just an attractive looking unit to the point where I would not yeah. want to hide that behind a couch or somewhere. I would want that scene in the room or <laughs> they I'm, are ideally a pair of them. <laughs> these are big enough to be end tables for most couches. Uh, I've, I've had a 12 inch THX one for an extended stay. It is actually so heavy. Uh, when I was figuring out locations for it, I moved it on a dolly. I cannot safely lift this thing by myself. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred pounds. These are, and, and let me explain that to you. These are massively overbuilt. And I mean that in a positive way. These have very, very thick MDF walls. They have a ton of internal bracing. They made a massive, you know, the, the, the drivers are massive and solid. I feel like they looked at all the places where, and, and admittedly, this is something that all the dedicated subwoofer companies do, I think, when they're, when they're doing their best work, is they look at where speaker companies cut money on subwoofers, and then they don't cut money there. That's crazy. When you get to the, where the bulk of the music is, between 31 and a half and, and 100 hertz, it measures 116.5 to 119.7 decibels and is still strong up over 120 hertz. I think they doubled the power over the largest amp they put in a subwoofer before. So these are 2,000 watt <laughs> amplifiers in these. 90 millimeter X-Max excursion on the 13-inch subwoofer. Uh, there's not a lot of detail out on the 16-inch subwoofer yet, or I just didn't click on the right pages. The black ash wood grain finish is probably it's my nice. favorite thing. I mean, visually speaking, it just looks fantastic. Yeah. But at what um, price are we talking here for the 13-inch? Looks like containers for the $2,000 model, the 16-inch. Well, the, there I did it. <laughs> the 16-inch model is going to cost $2,000. I can't imagine how powerful that thing is going to be. That's going to clear customs uh, in early October, it looks like, according to the ETA on Monof Prices website. Uh, Mid-August for the $1,600 13-inch model. My loose understanding is that these are not going to replace the 12 or 15-inch THX Ultra or the 10-inch uh, Select model in the lineup. Select being the THX certification for a smaller room than Ultra. We'll see how that goes. Because again, right, availability and, and uh, COVID's just wrecked everything in the last year. The other thing that was surprising is the 10, 12, and 15-inch monoprice monolith THX subs, their first three monster subs, are in stock now. And I'll be honest with you, their 10 and 12-inch subwoofers are, are pretty badass. That 12-inch is an extremely powerful subwoofer. While I'm talking about subwoofer availability, as has been our tradition for much of the last year, RSL Speedwoofer 10S are still in pre-order mode, though pre-orders are supposed to start shipping today through now and September 30th. Sue's VTF2 Mark V, their incredibly badass entry-level subwoofer is in stock, so some of the larger models are out of stock. Uh, and SVS is still crushing it in keeping almost all of their models in stock and available to purchase now, including the entry-level 1000 sealed and ported, which they did updates on earlier this year. Really, really nice subwoofers. Uh, the giant tubular PC4000 is not currently available, uh, but I think it's the only model they don't have in stock. It's going to start shipping again uh, later this month. So it's good stuff. Another note from Monoprice. I missed this announcement earlier this year. The SB300 is a two-channel virtual Dolby Atmos soundbar. MSRP is 179 It's currently 129 I'd be very, very curious to compare that to some of the offerings from Vizio. And while we're talking Vizio, the uh, Monoprice SB600 
is a 5.1.2 Dolby Atmos system where they've got a left center right sound bar with a pair of up firing speakers, a wireless 8 inch sub, which I'm guessing is going to be good to about 40 hertz and up, and a pair of wireless rear surrounds. That MSRP list on that is 449. It's currently selling for 350. These are kind of well equipped in the sense they both have two HDMI inputs, they have an HDMI arc output, they have coaxial and optical digital inputs, and they have a 3.5 millimeter analog audio input, which means, gosh darn it, you should be able to connect this to just about any television you have. Awesome. By hook or by crook, which is uh, incredibly useful sometimes. The way it should be. Veer tweeted a video to at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, and uh, I think at AVXL. And uh, he said, wouldn't it be nice if there was a function built into TVs where you could selectively choose to disable all smart functionality and just have it operate old school? Maybe a TV tuner, switch inputs, that's it. I love this idea. <laughs> you can do that with any TV made today. It's not hard. You just cannot connect it to the internet. <laughs> and I have met plenty of people who... Uh, I will connect the TV just to update the TV's firmware for video-specific right. fixes and things like that, and then immediately it just is removed uh, right from the network. And it basically transforms that into a dumb TV. And that is doubly true if you never agree to any of... Actually, I take that back. I think to even get like a firmware update check, you probably have to <laughs> agree gonna... to some licensing or some terms and conditions anyway. But just keep that in mind. If that's truly a concern of yours, simply do right. not connect it to Wi-Fi. Do not connect it to Ethernet uh, once you have it set up the way you like. And unless you absolutely have to, which means you're using like right. built-in streaming functions or something like that, where you can't get around that. If you're using your TV's built-in internet streaming functions, you're going to be connected and they're going to be monitoring and profiting off of you any way they can. Or mostly just irritating you with software that's really frustrating. But again, as we've said it before, we'll say it again, get a Roku, get an Apple TV, get oh, an Android right. stick, uh, you know, get a Chromecast. Um, you don't have to use the apps or the operating system that came on your monitor. Uh, fun one from Daniel. He says, uh, he messaged us over at, well, first of all, he's one of our patrons. So Daniel, thank you for being our patron. Uh, he messaged us over at uh, patreon.com slash AVXL. How do speakers increase their volume with more wattage? If it's simply a diaphragm moving air created by the frequency or sound, how does sound get louder when a speaker has more wattage or say a subwoofer, for example? So I'm in the middle of reading like a 300-page book, in part so I can understand that how uh, the voltage driving through a speaker turns into music, because there's some sophisticated active physics that happens there that I don't have the language to explain. I do, however, have the ability to explain or give you an analogy. Uh, <laughs> I have for, at least uh, one good wattage analogy. For speakers. <laughs> well, so if you take if you take a uh, and this is, for example, when we're talking about those those new monolized subwoofers with the 2,000-watt amplifiers, right? We've talked extensively about the idea that there is not a one-to-one -one relationship between wattage and the decibels that come out of a speaker. No, we've talked about efficiency a lot. Throwing more wattage at a speaker is a lot like throwing more torque at a race car in the sense that more torque you have 
the harder you can accelerate that race car. And the more wattage you have, you know, the harder you can accelerate that diaphragm that's, you know, we think of as being the speaker in, in, in most dynamic speakers. You accelerate the driver faster, accelerate and deaccelerate the driver faster and harder than you can with less wattage. Exactly. Think of it as putting a bigger engine in a race car. And that is the grossly oversimplified version of this. <laughs> I always think of air as another fluid. And yeah. in order to move that and to move more of it and faster requires more power. Yeah. At some point, you're going to have diminishing returns like you would say with any motor in terms of how it's yeah. being driven. Some motors are more efficient than others at getting that work done. At some point, you'll light your woofer on fire. (laughs) Not that I have any experience with that. Or you send your dragster down the strip twice instead of changing the engine each time, and (laughs) it blows up right on the line. Oh, goodness. Um, Not that uh, either one of us ever has experience with that. but I think between uh, those two two analogies, maybe maybe somebody can pull Basically, though, you know. Assuming you don't, you know, melt your driver uh, due to heat issues, in you know, generally speaking, the more wattage you throw at it, the louder you get. Once you get up to a certain level, uh, it requires extraordinary increases in wattages uh, to continue to increase the volume coming out of the speaker. But that's uh, something we've beaten to death. You have me trained now to stare at the specs of speakers and at least get a good gauge of the efficiency <laughs> in my comparisons. It's like, check efficiency before everything and then go from there. There's nothing wrong with an inefficient speaker. You just need to have a very powerful amplifier to get it to deliver the same volume cleanly as a more efficient speaker. Indeed. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I kind of love this tweet from Josh Craver, which technically was not directed at AVXL, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about it here. He tweeted, I've gotten into 1970s silver face stereos matched with great speakers. Music sounds so much better this way. What else do I need? I'm not going down the vinyl rabbit hole, but a good DAC, DLNA server, whole house streaming. Yeah, all of the above. I'm not a vinyl guy. I respect people who, who live the vinyl lifestyle. I own a, a decent album uh, and a much better preamplifier, which I'll talk about in the future, um, and a, a, you know, a decent turntable with a, with a really good cartridge, mostly because there are albums from bands I love that will never be released on anything other than vinyl. And in my case, it's, it's mostly ska and punk albums. Right. Uh, you know, from many, many moons ago, uh, you know, with just music I love and there's just no other way for me to preserve it and move it forward. Um, I love that you mentioned silver face stereos because most people think of silver face stereos would be like uh, Sony, Denon, Marantz. I'm going to throw a little love at Realistic, which was Radio Shack's house brand, um, Sansui Techniques. And, you know, at some point in the late 60s, 70s, to you know some mythical point in the 80s you know you generally had an integrated amplifier uh, or actually more accurately a receiver which is a you know an integrated amplifier which is a preamp and an amp plus a tuner that makes it a receiver and uh and there was a place uh so i went to college in new york city there was a place near nyu called the stereo exchange and one of the things they did at the stereo exchange is they sold a lot of used gear and they had some of the most expensive equipment on the planet. You know, you could make a right turn once you walked into the place, and they had the giant stacks of incredibly manly 
um, Macintosh amplifiers. And I'll admit, I love a good giant seven inch meter as much as the next guy. But if you walked a little farther in on the left side, they had, they had stacks of used gear and it was much easier to find this stuff at that point. There was not a market of hipsters that had, uh, and collectors that had driven the price of this stuff, uh, through the roof and stuff that's selling, you know, receivers from Marantz or Denon or whoever, uh, Marantz probably is the one I should emphasize. Um, you know, a Marantz receiver that you could buy then for 150 bucks, which was, you know, a fair chunk of change back then, um, which are now selling for like 12 or $1,300 on eBay you could get. And they had, you know, if you bought the right amplifiers, you had good performance. Uh, you know, is it as flawless as the, you know, the, you know, 92 dB sine ed of what are the amplifiers are currently on? No, but the reality is uh, they don't need to be that good. And they would sell people these, you know, what at that point were anywhere from 10 to 20 year old receivers and a decent set of speakers. And you were on your way because you had a decent speaker and a decent amplifier uh, with a volume control. And that's mostly what you needed back then. You know, maybe you needed a tape deck or a, or a turntable. I think a good DAC is a really good place to go. Uh, one of the most affordable, bestest places you can go for a DAC right now uh, is the crew over at JDS Labs, who are on the other side of the river from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, I like those guys, and they make a phenomenally good product. Their add-up lineup is about as good a DAC as you're going to get for $100. Um, and unlike a lot of places who sell DACs for $100, uh, they actually have customer support. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're good people. Uh, and they do some very serious engineering to deliver uh, something that is far beyond. Their specs are, are well beyond anything. Uh, you know, there's, there's just, you can make things that perform better when you get your audio precision uh, test system out. but you know, you are not, there is no, cre there is no human that can hear anything that's going to be cleaner than what they're making. Not a bad place to land. Yeah. And if you want to save some money, go to their B-Stock section and it's essentially cosmetic issues on the surface of the box, which you may or may not even see and you get a little discount on that. Um, and they also sell some nice basic uh, cables so you can get some decent RCA cables that are well built. I mean, I'm actually running a pair of their cables that I bought right over here um because i'm playing around with a desktop amplifier and some speakers here so yeah i would get a dac um dlna server whole house streaming that gets a little more complicated but there's a lot of ways to skin that particular cat uh volumio is one uh rune labs is another and uh we'll we'll get into that over the next couple of weeks that silver-faced comment really yeah. took me back a little bit. I used to live with a home theater <laughs> kit from Panasonic that was oh, effectively nice. all silver everything. Silver speakers, silver little amp thingy that drove those speakers. And when I think about the fact they own Technics, a couple of years ago at CES, they introduced some crazy receiver that was a throwback to the classics. And, of course, right. it was silver. <laughs> silver-faced and... That's just, uh, that immediately jumps right to mind when I think of uh, that color yeah. in particular in AV gear. I have a sudden if, like, oh yeah, what about Panasonic? <laughs> yeah, if you're at a garage sale and you see anything with Marantz or, yeah. uh, you know, or McIntosh for a hundred bucks, just buy it. Even if it's trashed, you'll get much more than that on eBay for it. Uh, and if a lot of this stuff is nice because, you know, they publish the specs and the schematics. And you can actually get it repaired and maintained. Some of this, you know, I've, you know, I've got a Yamaha one that I was basically a freebie with a set of speakers I bought, uh, and it's cool, but it's not a particularly, you know, it's like a ten watt per channel integrated amplifier. It's not a great amplifier, 
but somebody will love it and uh, it'll move on. But uh, I love streaming music. We have Sonos speakers all over the house because that's really, really convenient. But, you know, with Rune or with uh, Cobas or Spotify, I can stream to because I have a Apple TV. I basically I use AirPlay 2 to stream to my AV receiver or this or that or the other thing. Um, that's where it gets interesting was you have different competing streaming platforms and how you sort of shove your audio into each of those uh, each of those tubes. Because I like talking about trucks moving tubes on the internet. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I was well I was having a moment where I was like crap, you know. You know, my Denon is Heos and everything else, you know, is Sonos. Oh, and then I've got these things over here and I was like, "Oh yeah, uh between Rune and Spotify Connect everything runs." Yay. Beautiful. What uh what are you watching, man? Hey, I clearly watch a ton of YouTube, YouTube Premium specifically <laughs> for the lack of commercials. I'm a big fan of DIY-ish type channels and content, and one I just have to point out for this week would be The Handyman. Two words. The dude has the driest sense of humor, but he's incredibly knowledgeable, and he even has a separate channel that gets into the business side of what he does. I think for the humor alone and the cockiness of this person and the quality of his work, it's just a great ride and a good, good fun checkout if you're into anything like that. And I am currently enthralled with a business located in Rock Hill, South Carolina, that restores classic video game arcade machines. Oh, wow. Search for Joe's Classic Video Games and another channel with just superb narration with a very knowledgeable person who is taking some of basically whatever condition these systems arrive in. This person seems like they're able to repair it to near perfect quality. And get these old systems running and keep them running and making them look great. And and it's just that throwback to my childhood in the 80s, living in arcades, playing these stand-up <laughs> arcade console systems. And uh, I resemble that remark. It's a throwback, but at the same point, it's just a great bit of history. And it just gives me an urge to create an arcade room with some classic, or not even classic, but just to have those stand-up cabinets, maybe a pinball machine or two. I see why some of my friends are so into this stuff, <laughs> but that channel's awesome. Uh, Joe's classic video games. And if you happen to be in Rock Hill, South Carolina, I would perhaps if it's okay, drop by that person's shop and take a look around <laughs> some cool, cool gear in there from all eras, from the very classic to the digital-ish classic all the way to the more modern. And if you have something oh, that needs goodness. fixing, and you can get it all the way to South Carolina. That is a person I would put up there on the list in terms of uh, quality of work and knowledge, especially the knowledge side of it. I have been working far too much on uh, cleaning up our basement, doing some house projects. I also, I think I'm going to buy that caught gun t-shirt from the handyman store. Ah, um, I saw that. I liked it. <laughs> I didn't even mention that, but yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> and it's his own store. And I, Man, if you just want a good laugh while watching somebody do quality work, it's damn. And if you want to get into the business side, anyway, I've I've said all those things. It's just uh, <laughs> there is enthusiasm one, here. Anytime he posts a new video, I have to just give it a few minutes to see if it's anything I'm interested in because it's just the way he presents things and the no nonsense ish of it all, <laughs> and the fact that he refers to himself as the greatest. I was it the greatest handyman in the world, or he's got a modest anyway. too. <laughs> exactly. I hear you. <laughs> He's the right person for the right time. 
And if you happen to, oh my goodness, I'm not even sure where he's located, but either way, good time. We watched a ton of Olympics. Um, the boys were especially fascinated with the hammer toss and the javelin, uh, and the karate, uh, and the jujitsu, uh, amongst other things. Uh, Ted Lasso season two is a must see TV in our house for the whole family, although it got a little racy last week. Uh, Flight Test is always a classic since you were mentioning YouTube channels, and yeah. uh, which is the remote control planes. Um, they Love that crew. Really nice people. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. And with that, we're going to wrap it up before I start talking about some of the issues I have with the source files on streaming services because I still don't know if I'm hearing what I'm... I'm literally buying a Lucinda Williams album because I want to hear the a vintage Lucinda Williams album because I, I want to hear if it's as blown out in the original CD recording as it is in the track on uh, multiple services, which is a weird statement for me to make. Um, I actually uh, took a listen to that website you mentioned last week, uh, audiocheck.net, I believe it was. I love that website. Yeah. I, I went through some of their hearing tests and one, I confirmed that my high frequency hearing isn't as bad as I thought it was. It's still not great, Good. but it isn't as bad. But the other one that really fascinated me was the DB sound difference and where yeah. it kind of cuts off for the individual. If you have regular hearing or anything approaching normal ish, I think anybody can hear that three DB change in tone, be it up or yeah. down. And it has a unique testing system to let you go through. But when I got down to the one dB, and then for sure when I was at anything below that, like a half a dB or less, it was very difficult for me to discern a difference at that point. But I was happy no, I was well, hitting it, about a fifty or sixty percent at the one dB level. So that's and that, well, and that fifty was with percent no practice, is so. <laughs> it, well, it's right. So part of it's like there are no golden ears, but there's there are there are trained ears certainly. Um, you know, nobody's got golden ears, you know, nobody's, I, people like to say that, well, obviously you don't have the distinguished hearing I have. And let me tell you about, you're right though, because some of the sounds in like, particularly for certain tones that were decreasing in volume, it wasn't that I couldn't discern it, but it just didn't sound like that was what was happening. But I knew at some point, okay, when I hear that, then I know the sound is going down. So select that one. It was more about just I, training myself and getting used to how I actually hear certain certain tones and certain volumes and the way they change. Yeah. And it was just cool. Well, and it's and also, it's yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing website. It is an incredibly informative and useful website. Um, I totally agree <laughs> that you can train yourself to be a better listener, at least uh, in terms of just perception and understanding it's nice when you have labeled content. It's like, okay, yeah. here's what's going to happen. Make sure you're uh, ready for it and can perceive it. And how do you perceive it and get used to it? And uh, anyway, Phillips, neat. Yeah, no, Phillips used to have the 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 audio corner of Phillips used to have this amazing online resource for literally that was this very sophisticated set of tools for training people to hear this is what distortion sounds oh, like this cool. is what this sounds like this is what this sounds like Harman Kardon I think has something similar but not as I think it's like a, a downloadable app you have to get I'll see if that's still around because um, that's listening you know camp. yeah well you, you know you laugh Perception. right but it's no I was I, I was blown away you know, I was, you know, because, you know, uh, anyway, it's, I, I don't want you to have another 20 minutes to edit, but it's like, you know, how there's a lot of stuff we don't actually understand about how people 
here or or sort of what happens in between you know the air hitting your eardrum and the eardrum becoming this thing that you become aware of in your conscious mind there's a lot of complicated stuff going on there a lot of it don't entirely understand but you know when somebody insists to me that you know a speaker has to go up to 40,000 hertz you know i roll my eyes because there are no ears that hear at 40,000 hertz or if there are it's like that guy um you know who is literally has golden ears and is one out of a billion but you know the vast majority of what people think of as as people who have golden ears are people who you know have spent a lot of time listening to a lot of things uh and you know training themselves um i could say the same thing visually speaking for display systems you you see enough artifacts and enough quirkiness and you see it similar (laughs) or time and again and suddenly you put two and two together you, you know what you're looking at. And the same thing goes for yeah. hearing too. It's like, uh, yeah, you need practice. It's, and it's good to have it's, a good team. I mean, I always, I, I don't think I've, I've mentioned this a long time, but I laugh because I, I at one point I was laughing because you make it harder to enjoy video because there are so many things that you would be like, oh my God, look at that. And I'd be like, what? And I'd be like, oh, and you would explain it to me and it would be like some sort of artifact that was shown. Like I can't, there's, you know, it's it's i laugh but you you know as you as you learn these things it's kind of really hard to not see them or hear them you know it's like oh that's what sibilance is oh that's really annoying (laughs) i have worked hard as i've gotten older to not subject my friends to that kind of level of scrutiny of anything we're watching anymore it's i mean you and i were basically hiding in the room where you were you were testing a lot of TVs and okay. I was wandering in yeah. and out and we were trying to figure out, I mean, we also, I mean, what did we spend like a week staring at the three, you know, the three Blu-rays that Sony sent out, Totally. you know, those are trying to figure out, okay, you know what I mean? Like there's, I'm not, you, as, as you are a charming person to watch entertainment with, but you and I were in a lab and trying to figure out like, okay, that's hair and that's a bad telecine and oh my God, did they use a distribution print to make this movie? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're watching the opening of Goodfellas, and it's like, this is what the hell was? That's a scratch. What did they use for this? In my um, older age or my midlife, anyway, I have become more of a. I will wait for somebody to ping me, and then I will take a look at it. And <laughs> case in point, my buddy's like, "Dude, you got to come look at the TV real quick. It's just doing something weird, and the pic- everything looks wrong." And I'm like, "Okay, something's funky." Here, let me just reset it. <laughs> let me put it back into some presets that work right. And boom. Yeah. My goodness. I'm, not, uh, I'm not there to piss on anybody's viewing experience <laughs> for no good reason. Unless unless you're standing next to me in a test lab, and that's yeah. exactly what we're there to do. And or not necessarily you, piss yeah. on it, but just find a good a good analysis, so to speak. <laughs> well always yeah, it's it's always good to not fix things when people aren't asking you to fix them. Something I'm going to learn someday. And with that, tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AVXL, uh, or uh, email us, ask at AVXL.com. If you want to hashtag pound, ask AVXL works for us. And uh, seriously, thank you, each and every one of you, for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you contribute to our ongoing, uh, well, just basically we're asking to, to, to contribute uh, over at patreon.com slash AVXL. And uh, the people who do that are the ones that make it possible for us to keep doing this show for you. So thank you once again for being a patron of AVXL. Oh, yeah. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. 
We'll catch you next week on AVXL.